Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this really special edition of the Players NIL Podcast. And a good friend for a long time and a great guest today, Mr. Yogi Roth. Yogi, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for welcoming me to your world, not only today, but 15 years ago or so when we first met. I can remember going to your old office and didn't really know what you were doing, but I knew it was really cool. And then we just started talking. And from that moment on, you, Brett Hughes, like you just could see, you know, this silver lining or this red thread that cuts through every relationship and, and ours is the same. So I'm I'm so pumped for you and how this business originated, where it is today. And, and I'm sure I'll learn where it's going as well. Yeah. Don't forget our days at Bikram Yoga in Hermosa Beach, California. Oh, good. Let's go, baby. I'm going Saturday morning. I can't wait. There you go. There you go. So I, in doing research, I, I, of course, you know, looked at your website, Yogi. And for those of uh, the people that don't know who you are, um, I saw two things that stuck out. Number one, obviously, is storyteller. The second one is, you know, the mission of humanity in sports, which is so in line with what we're trying to do. As I tell people all the time, my father's imprint on me is forever. And that mission is to use athletics to better your life. And then as adults, how can we use athletics to better the lives of the people around us? And again, you exemplify both those things. So before we get to your current life, I always like to go back. I want to know about your journey. You're a storyteller. But I use two words, sports and athletics. Sports is the participation or the fandom. Athletics is the participation. Usually sports comes first. You have a fairly famous name. I'm sure there's a story to that. We don't need to bore everyone with all the details, but I'm guessing that your parents instilled some fandom in you. So talk about the sports aspect of your childhood and how you became enamored with it. Yeah, great question. And happy to happy to take everybody through that. Um, my name is Yogi, as you referenced, uh, but not named after Yogi Berra. I mean, I'm a default Yankees fan just because you, you kind of just had to be. Uh, but every child in our house got a Hindu name and Hebrew name. And then when you were born, it was like, which one's your first, which one's your middle? So my first name is Yogi. Right? So if you practice yoga and you're present and connected to the moment, Bikram Yoga, an homage right there for us going to class together. And then my middle name is Zohar, which means brightness in Hebrew. So that's where I got the name. Uh, my dad was an athlete. My mom is a refugee, came to America. She was uh, seven years old. No nobody really forced sports on me. But I grew up like many people in small towns with nothing other than a ball and a couple buddies. And every morning we woke up and we met on the corner of Maine and uh, North Turnpike in Dalton, Pennsylvania, town of 2,500 with no stoplights. And we played everything. And what was amazing, Mark, about when we played was that before we played, it was, let's play hoops. I'm Jordan. I'm Barkley. I'm Magic. I'm Bird. Play football. I'm Montana. I'm Rice. I'm Taylor. I'm Craig. Like, I have those vivid memories from every sport, from stick and ball to tennis to tag, whatever we played, we were pros. So early on, I had these dreams about playing on the biggest of stages. And it wasn't until I got fourth, fifth, sixth grade where people started to shoot down those dreams. And I was like, oh, now I have to combat. And that's where I think like my resilience and grittiness and optimism really began to grow and then eventually flourish as I got into high school. And then it led me to chasing the dream, which was playing in front of 100,000 people at Pitt. I walked on, got lucky, got a scally started and kind of had that traditional walk on to scholarship story. 
So it's exactly what we preach is that you can use athletics to better your life. What was the moment, though, and maybe it was a negative moment when someone told you you couldn't, but specifically, do you remember, was there a time when you said, gosh, darn it, I'm not taking that answer, or I know I can do this, or this is empowering, I'm going to continue. The, was it in high school? Was it in college? When was when did the, the switch flip? Yeah, I was, I was in fourth grade. I was at basketball practice, and I'll never forget my coach looking at me and then over to the staff and the team and said, hey, everybody, Yogi's going to get his MBA. And I said, no, 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 coach, I'm going to go play in the NBA for the Sixers. I'm going to be Iverson. He goes, yeah, yeah, and he laughed at me. And he probably thought he was giving me like a compliment, like, hey, he's a cerebral player or whatever. He's going to get his business degree. And I remember that day was when the, it was the first time anyone publicly shut down one of my dreams. So I went home and I opened up a journal and I began to write. And that was the day that I believe I became a writer. I believe that is my greatest strength still to this day is writing. The reason I say that is that when I write down my dreams on a piece of paper, nobody gets to say they can't come true. And I really enjoyed that world that was basically in between my two ears and my fingers. And I've never stopped. If you went into my little creative space in our house, I've got every journal from college to this day where I continued to pen all of my dreams. And I still do. So that was the moment. And then really my work ethic started and I was like, okay, let's go. And I've always been the 5 a.m. workout guy. I've always been uh, you know, the Bill Bradley quote, which probably wasn't healthy at the time, but two people given fairly equal ability, you know, like if you put in the same amount of effort, who will win? And for me, I was like, I'm always going to throw down more effort than, than anybody else. So that, that was the catalytic moment, 10 years old, that really flipped probably my entire life. That's amazing. And that's a fairly young age and that you remember it so vividly and that it still empowers you today. So on your website, I see all of these titles, and I'm going to read them out so everyone understands. Broadcaster, podcast host, filmmaker, love that film, speaker and moderator, author, got a new book, Five Star QB, we'll talk about that, travel genius, I put the word genius in there, <laughs> and this, mod, this, this vision of how great is ball, which is part of your brand. You move to California, you get you know, unbelievable opportunities as an assistant coach, as an author, you meet people significant in your life. What does how great is ball mean to you? Yeah, it, it really was spurred on a sidebar conversation. I was working at the Pac-12 Networks. I've been there for about, this is my 12th year coming up, broadcasting games for them. And in year one or two, I'm in the studio. And I, I always love going into edit bays, meeting everybody. And I went into the edit bay and a lot of our young employees love sport and they were recording a podcast. And I walked in there and I could, I'll never see him. One of, one of them is a guy named Ryan McGrady, who now runs all research at 24 seven was most recently at Stanford on their staff. And I looked at him and we're talking about football. And I said, Hey guys, how great is ball? Like question mark, exclamation point, you know, and the idea of like, how great is it when a team can scheme up somebody else? How great is it when, 80,000 are on their feet and rush the field after a win. Like, how great is it that it gets to be our job? And for me, there's always a ball on my desk, and there's always – there's balls all over our house. You know, you, you grew up you, – you raised amazing, amazing boys. Uh, I say that because I am reminded – I look at that image behind you over your right shoulder. You don't have a job. I don't have a job. We don't have a craft without the ball. 
And I think in definitely in my profession and probably even in the NIL world more so now than ever, we can sometimes think we're bigger than the game. My brand is bigger. I could be a head coach and my I'm too pompous because my X's and O's are so much better than everybody else's. And I'm always a big proponent of I don't have a job. You don't have a job. Coaches don't have a job. Players don't have a craft without the ball. And so, so it comes down to like the very simple concept of like how great is this uniquely shaped pigskin that gets to breathe life into all of our dreams and all these opportunities. And if you forget that, then I think you've lost all humility. And I try to preach that to athletes uh, and broadcasting while I do it for entertainment. There's also a sense of like, I hope it's tapping into the subconscious of, hey, let's not criticize that freshman for dropping a pass. Let's make sure we celebrate the fact that he competed to get here. And that's really always been my my lens on the sport. And that's where that phrase came from. Love it. I love it. Love it. Let's do a little word association, all right? Let's go. The first, the first one's fairly easy. Football coach. What does that mean to you? First thing that pops into my mind is what is the role of a coach? And the definition of the role of the coach to me somebody who allows athletes to feel seen and heard is aware when to challenge them, but make sure that they want to come back the next day. And I believe that from youth to the professional, I really do. That's the role of the coach to me. Uh, and I, and I think it's what a gift to have a whistle or whatever that proverbial thing is around your neck. It's such a gift that is so desperately needed now more than ever at every age especially with what you're doing, you see it. You know, I talk to parents of eight-year-olds who tell me their kid is it, and he's ranked the top 60 quarterbacks in America. And I say, how did he get that ranking? And they say, well, we paid we pay $2,000 to get evaluated. Yeah, so exactly. You pay $2,000 get your name on a website. And that's why I wrote Five Star QB, is to give some guidance to people. So there's a whole chapter in there on the role of the coach. Yeah. Next word, as it relates to football, power five. Still, there's a dramatic amount of inequity is writing that out with Power Five. Um, there just is. I look at Alabama's 200 and some odd million dollar facility I just saw on Instagram last night. And I think about them competing in the same league as other Power Five schools who don't have that. And I'm reminded that none of that really matters. You know, so I, I think we're in for a dramatic change and shift in the landscape from Power five, group of five, NCAA. I don't know where it's going to net out, but where we sit today with the archaic rules that exist, it's going to dissipate. And where we are within even power five, like there's a world where you could have a premier league within the power five. Like there's so many opportunities, but at the end of the day, I think of the 60 some odd schools that are among that group that do a hell of a job developing a team. They all don't get noticed because of this pathetic system called the 14 playoff that we've had that in my eyes is just, dramatically negatively impacted college football. Thank God it's changing because we'll get to celebrate more teams. Yeah. Love it. Just a couple more. What's an influencer? It's a great question. My brother's an influencer. He's one of the top gay travel influencers in the world. Gets paid to fly all over the world to influence. Some is through brands, telling stories, showcasing their gear. I get all of that. I've done that for companies. Uh, but when I talk to athletes, I always ask them the following question, which is, hey, what's your intention right now? And some will be like, I want to make it to the pros. I want to win the Elite 11 MVP. 
want to provide for my family. Uh, I want to have a million followers. I want to be a brand. I want to be LeBron. And I say, okay, then pay attention to your intention. So that's to me an influencer. Like you're impacting someone somehow. Are you aware of that intention? Is it crystallized? Is it clear? And then go for it. And if your intention as an influencer is to just make as much money as possible, cool. You want to inspire the next generation of competitors? Cool. Or whatever it is, know what it is and be aware of it. Social media. Challenging for me. Um, I'm in the game. I've always been in the game. I remember creating my Twitter account in 2009 in, uh, in uh, this little town in Peru, in Cusco. It's in a hostel. I was like, yeah, about to hike Machu Picchu. I was like, yeah, I might as well try this thing. Started Twitter and know where we are. Uh, I see how my eight-year-old now, when he stumbles on an app, how it can capture him. I see athletes. I wrote the book you referenced about how they're told to go kill yourself after they miss a throw. And then I felt it more so in the last two years as a broadcaster of the vitriol. The reason I enjoy, let's just talk Twitter for a second, is because Twitter is about a conversation and I love conversations. I don't feel that way anymore. So much so last year, I was broadcasting big college football games all year. Our teams in the West Coast and the Pac-12 were as good as they've been in a long time. Whatever team lost got so violently angry and aggressive in my own mentions that I was like, this is affecting me at 41 years old. Imagine being 21 years old. And I just stopped looking at it. I post for the sake of posting. And even now, I don't even have a relationship with the conversation. So I think social media can be used for many things. Your news, getting the word out, look what it did for Damar Hamlin. Like there's there's beautiful elements of it. But gosh, can it become a dark place to shout as loud as you want without any, excuse me, repercussions? I mean, I hear it all the time. You should fire yourself. You're terrible. Whatever. And I could care less. I, I got kids to go home to. Go home to. But I, I do worry about it. And I feel I have a tremendous amount of empathy for your job and your world with the players at NIL. Because if I am a 14-year-old prospect and I go in and sit with a social media co or an NIL company, a lot of them would say, grow your social, grow your numbers. So then I talk to the parents and they're like, I need to grow his numbers. And I say, okay, well, you need to be aware of the other side of this thing. Because now you're growing numbers because you want to get to this status where you can make this amount of money. But there is a dra dramatic dark side of this for your child that you're walking them into this arena. And my empathy comes from the parents, I believe, are looking two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight years ahead. And they are not connected to the present. I've seen that time and time again as I've talked to the parents of 12-year-olds, 14-year-olds, 17-year-olds trying to do what's best for my kid. I empathize with that. I'm trying to do the best for my boys. But God, do you have to compete, especially in that world, with like, what is the best today? What's going to move the needle today? And I think the best guys, the CJ Strouds of the world, would say, hey, don't worry about it. You'll make real money. Problem is that everybody isn't going to make that money. So you've got to make yours in the way of social media. So I, I think you have to define your relationship with it. Uh, and for me, over the last couple of years, it's become – one that I compete to celebrate in, but it is not an easy place to talk, to occupy. Yeah, you know, our company, the Players NIL, is about education. And um, there are pitfalls with stardom, right, with celebrity. 
as you just mentioned. And we're trying to build a life skills course, you know, where the balance, uh, because, you know, part of your storytelling is around mental health and the effects of athletics positively and negatively on athletes, in particular when the ball stops bouncing, right? You know, what do you do? And my, my approach is that if you have a balanced life, like Yogi Roth has, you get to go home to your kids, no matter what the trolls say on Twitter, young athletes may not have that balance. We're trying to create that balance. And one of the ways we're trying to do is through community service and philanthropy, you know, to actually build a value away from sports that you can stand on when the ball stops bouncing. So I, I totally agree with that. And I, and I worry about it, but that's why we're about education. So we're getting down to the last question. So well, know, on, let, me, let should... me follow up on that. If you don't mind, I, I love that for what you guys do. Like that is such a powerful tool. And I'll tell you from the broadcaster lens to the athletes that are listening every Thursday night for a Saturday game, I'll sit in my hotel and my last exercise on Thursday night is I take the top 10 players of each team and I scrub their socials. And I always find one or two things that I use for the game. One may be, wow, this guy is partying way too hard, or he's, uh, his lens on women is not appropriate. And I'll say, you know what? I'm not going to talk about this guy in the glowing way that I was planning on it. Flip side, let's go down the road of philanthropy. I'll say, whoa, I need to learn more. I'll send these photos to my producer. And now all of a sudden, let's just say your following is, 15,000 and you play at the University of Washington. Well, when I broadcast your game, that's a couple million that are watching it. And now that Instagram picture with your handle is up. So I am so down with that, like dramatically, because it's allowing athletes to use the platform. See, I love your phrase. I'm going to totally steal it. Of like, what are you doing when the ball stops bouncing? And now the alumni that are watching are watching, let's just say it's Mark whose philanthropy was benefiting kids with childhood cancer. Now, all of a sudden, I'm saying, okay, does he have his own nonprofit? All right, does he need funding? I want to fund that. And all of a sudden, away we go. So I, I just wanted to pause you. And I didn't mean to interrupt, but I love that no. part of what you do. No, it's a great interjection. And I've said this, and I know this hits home to you because he's a pit guy, but, you know, uh, DeMar Hamlin, no one knew him before his medical emergency. And thank God he's okay, right? But when we got to know him and when it, his charitable story was told, that GoFundMe went to $10 million or something like that, dollars, I think it's because of his charitable component to his brand. And I tell athletes all the time, you never know who's watching. You never know who's scrubbing your media, the guy that's calling your game on Saturday, and he puts it up there. And to your story, some alum picks it up. You never know. So it's a great opportunity. So with that said, name, image, and likeness, whether people like it or not, it's here to stay. Whether it changes or not, I don't know. Give us your philosophy on NIL today and where you think it'll be in the future. I'm a big fan of it. I've always been a big fan of it. I think Mick Cronin had a quote. Um, here we are in advance of the Sweet 16. The UCLA head coach yesterday, he said, all businesses, I'm paraphrasing, that say, I, I wish it was like how it was before, are on their way to dying. And I think the same thing exists with NIL. Of course, I'd love to say on looking back, man, I liked it when athletes were like truly amateurs because we're dipping our toe, if not fully into the professionalization of athletes other than taxes. Um, that's not reality. And the other reality is that I've seen so many players and it's the old story of, I go to the student center and they're selling my jersey 
and I can't buy dinner for myself and my girlfriend or my parents. I can't fly home. Like, okay, we knew it needed a change. So I love that. Uh, I hate the inducement side of it. There needs to be something and there will be. I don't think in three years time we'll be sitting here. It's going to be pay for play, which is what it is now. It's either going to be pay for play. Do I want to go to school? You can opt in on that or it's going to be pay for play. Here's your taxes or there's going to be some guardrails. I tend to believe there's going to be guardrails around this. All the coaches I talk to that are legit, they don't want inducements to be a part of this game. But we live, I said, in inequities before around Power 5. That is dramatically seen in NIL. Now, fundamentally, every player is not making $1 million, even $150,000. Some of the best players on the West Coast are making $25,000, $50,000. And that's what they should do. So fundamentally, I, I absolutely love it. The challenge for players, which is why you guys are here, is name, image, and likeness. I often will, when I talk to locker rooms, I'll say, okay, how many of you think you're, or I say, how many of you can tell me uh, the top five, six, ten brands that you see through your life? And they all shout out the same thing. They say Nike, they say Jordan, they say Beats, they say Apple. And I've done this exercise over 100 times now, Mark. And none of them ever have said a name of a human being. And I stop and I pause and I remind them that. And I say, okay, you all say that you want to be a brand. I just asked you to name the best brands. You didn't say anybody's name. So my point is that you're not just a brand. You're a story. You're a human. You breathe. You have a life. You get to exhale every day. Like you get to move. You get to act. You get to do things. Brands don't have heartbeats for the most part. And I think it's a really cool shift because I want to get athletes to start thinking, yes, myself as a brand, but first, myself as a story. So again, my name. How did you get your name? Where did you come from? What's your town like? Can you begin to get to know your voice and then begin the journey to gain mastery around it? Name, image, what do I stand for? What's my style, my vision, my theme, philosophy around what I want to do? You want to be a business owner? Okay, cool. Well, don't just sign the Instagram deal to put up a picture of you at the pizza parlor for 500 bucks. Go meet the CEO. Go meet the people that funded the business. Ask them in response to that agreement, can you help me write a business plan for my small business? Use your image to benefit yourself. Again, I'm going to steal your line when the ball stops bouncing. And then likeness. I think that's the funnest part of this thing of athletes trying to figure out, like, is it about making people like them? Do they like themselves already? And then what do they want to showcase the world that they do enjoy? What do they like? And that to me is all between years and mental health. So I remind every athlete, if they want to play in the world of NIL, I hope they're already playing in the world of their own mental health and finding ways to train their mind and front-loading those skills so when they do come up against a meeting, a brand, uh, a bad post, they've got some tools to manage it because you're opening yourself up to a different world than athletes have ever been around. All right. Love it. Great advice. All right. Last section. This is where you get to shamelessly plug what you're working on. There we um, go. Tell us about five-star quarterback. What's your latest book about? Yeah, I'm really proud of this. Three years. You know the deal. You're an author. Congratulations to you. Your book just came out as well. So I know that, you. I know you're plugging that and you need to. You should. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing my copy. Uh, with that said, three years ago, I was in a coffee shop with a guy named Joey Roberts. And we sat there. We were around the top quarterbacks in America for about the 15th straight year. And we said, they keep asking the same questions. Parents keep asking the same questions. And here comes NIL down the pipe. What can we do? 
can't have a hundred conversations a day. We can create a tool. We can give them something. We call it a tribe of mentors, a book that is full of advice. We said, all right, let's do it. So we threw down over three years and we interviewed over 50 of the top quarterbacks in the history of recruiting. We asked them to share their story around their first offer, around summer camps, around parenting advice, around NIL, around mental health, around dealing with women on college campus. You name the topic, we asked them to share their experience. We then asked over 40 head coaches, GMs, influencers in the space of football to give advice to those people and their parents. Chip Kelly, Lincoln Riley, Ryan Day, Pete Carroll, John Schneider, Mike Trevay, like the best people I knew, Brenda Tracy, the Holinsky family, CJ Stroud's mom, mother, Kimberly, Bryce Young's father, Craig, Lisa McCaffrey, uh, Christian's mom, give advice to people going through this. Because the one thing I know, and you did it too, because you had athletes as sons, is you can't really Google how to be the parent of a recruit. You know, you were lucky because you went through it once and then you had the experience to go through it again and again. Uh, most parents don't have that. So they're just trying to figure it out. And it's hard now with NIL. So we wanted to create a tool where they could open up to any page and get advice from myself and Joey, get advice from the ambassadors, like the guys that I mentioned, and then hear from the actual players. And the thing I'm probably most proud of, honestly, Mark, is the cover of the book is all the faces of the players. And in the sport of football, as we know, uh, when someone signs or commits to a school, you immediately go to their huddle profile. Let me see their highlights. Let me go to their social media and see how sweet they are. Let me go to their ranking on 24-7 or on three. Let me see their NIL evaluation. You don't see their face. Mm. I mean, if I pulled college football fans and showed them the cover and said, I want you to try to guess everybody's name, they'd get Caleb Williams right. Probably it. Like there's not a lot of guys they would get right. And they're all household names in recruiting. So I, I love that part of it is trying to humanize these players. So I think for parents, it's a tool for athletes and it's an amazing tool going through it, whether you're a walk-on or a five-star, regardless of sport. And then for the fans, they get to see what happened when they were tweeting, you should kill yourself and what a player thought and what they yeah. went through. They get to see what happens when you were cheering them on on their visit, like Bo Nix was at Auburn and then booing him as a starter two years later and what that impact had on him. So it's 600 pages of advice. It's one of one. I think it, it has a long shelf life and uh, I know it's going to be at least a couple of years before I, I even try to write another book, man. Yeah. Yogi, you're an amazing storyteller. You're uh, inspirational. Uh, your foundation is solid. Uh, the movie uh, with your dad, you know, inspired me. And um, you lost your mom recently. I lost my dad recently. And those things are life-changing, but the foundation is solid. And uh, I know you're an amazing dad and an amazing husband, and congratulations on all of that. Uh, you make me emotional. Um, you've inspired me. And uh, you've inspired me to use athletics to better the lives of the people around me. And we're going to continue that journey. And I appreciate your support. Thanks for being a guest today. I love you, man. Thank you. Thanks, buddy.